The title tonight is When You've Had Enough of You. You ever get to that place where you're like, I'm so sick and tired of myself and the way that I act and the problems I keep getting myself into? Jacob is going to reach that place tonight in our story, although he might not realize it yet, but he's on his way to realizing it. Last week, we saw the birth of the patriarchs, all of the tribes of Israel except Benjamin, who will not be born until much later. We looked at the failings of Jacob's marriages. First failing was that he had more than one (laughs) at a time. But tonight we're going to resume what we've been describing as Jacob's journey. There's a beautiful symmetry and plot structure, you might say, to Jacob's life and the way that it plays out and also the way that the writer of the Bible presents it to us. And that's how we've been describing it, and we're going to continue that. Last week was a bit of a detour to analyze the the birth of all those children. It started when Jacob deceived his family in Canaan and had to flee. He goes into the wilderness and he meets God at Bethel and determines that we're going to make a change. From now on, my life is going to be one serving the Lord. And immediately God took him further to his destination where he met Laban. And we've been describing Laban as a mirror image of Jacob's soul, as in the worst version of who Jacob could become. His name meant heel catcher or deceiver, and he had been living up to that name. And so he meets a man who is the consummate deceiver and the ultimate liar. And in this story, we're going to continue to watch him struggle with Laban. And Jacob is going to reach a point where he realizes, I can't take it anymore. When we grow closer to God, we find ourselves more and more incapable of doing the same old thing. Have you found that? The closer you get to God, the more you go to church, the more you read your Bible, the more you pray, you're around godly people. You can't live the same way you used to. Maybe it starts out as a shame thing, as in I'm not going to talk about these things around these church people. (laughs) But it can go on beyond that to, you know, I shouldn't be doing that. I have those moments every now and then where a song will come on shuffle in my music library and I'll think to myself, what is that doing in there? I used to like that. I used to have a lot of fun with that, but I don't have any business listening to that kind of thing. It's a very small example. When we struggle that way with what we know we ought to be and the way that we have been, eventually it leads to a breaking point. And it can happen all at once or it can happen gradually. With Jacob, it happens gradually over decades. But we're going to see him make the decision to renounce himself, to renounce his old life tonight. And that's a lesson for us all, that God wants to bring us to the point where we not only understand our own failings, but we decide, I'm not going to try and have it both ways. I'm going to go back and leave my old ways. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, this sums up the message tonight. So we might read it a few times. Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self and put on the new self. It's not enough to know God. Jacob met God at Bethel. It's not enough to know yourself. Jacob saw what he could become when he made it to Padan Aram and met Laban. It's good to know both these things, but you must choose God over yourself. That is where God wants to bring you. Not just understanding the problem, but committing to what God wants you to do. When you finally had enough of yourself and you say, all right, God, we're moving forward now. So let's read. This is a fascinating story on top of everything else and is really going to make you dislike Laban. If you didn't dislike him enough already. But we're going to start at verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? 
He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will come answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if it is found with me, it shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. What a rat. It has been 14 years by now. Remember, Jacob came and he worked seven years in order to marry Rachel. But Laban pulled the old switcheroo at the last minute, and he ended up marrying Leah instead. So he worked seven more years for Rachel. So it's been 14 years. Finally, Rachel has had a son. Not sure exactly why it was that the birth of Joseph precipitated all these events. It could be that Joseph was just born at the end of the seventh year. It could be that this was kind of it for Jacob. He'd finally achieved what he wanted, which was a child with his wife that he actually loved, not Leah, who he sort of put up with. It could be that there was some kind of tradition that until she's had a kid, she's not really yours and the marriage hasn't really been completed. Maybe he knew Laban would try to keep her or something like that. We don't know. But it seems to have been a mile marker for him. He wants to return home. It's been 14 years. But Laban wants him to stay because Laban knows how beneficial he is. He says, by divination, which is, of course, fortune telling. Many different ways they would do this. They would cast the stones. They would cast the bones. They would cut open the animal, look at the entrails and try to read that. They'd read the stars, all kinds of things. It tells you what kind of person Laban is. So he's not only a weasel. He's a weasel who practices witchcraft. But he says, I want you to stay. I'm blessed when you're here. When you're working for me, everything's going really great. And Jacob and him begin a negotiation for what it would cost or what Jacob would require to stay. At this point, for all of his 14 years, Jacob has gotten room and board, his wives, and no money. Imagine working 14 years for no money. Maybe you feel like you've worked 14 years for no money. But how about actually no money? You've, you are living entirely at the mercy of this guy. He decides where you live. He decides what you wear. He decides what you eat. He's your father-in-law twice over. He's also your boss. So he says, listen, I've been here for 14 years and I've done great. And look at how your flocks have grown, but I've got nothing. So he says, Let, look, let's make a deal. He says, I'll go through the flocks and I will remove all the odd colored sheep and goats, all the irregular animals. In that part of the world, typically sheep were white as they are in most parts of the world. And the, the standard goat color was a brown or a black color. And there were black sheep that were born. Of course, they were rare. It was less common in the genes. And the goats were speckled or spotted. That is, they weren't one solid color. And you know, later on, the Lord is going to tell Moses that all of the offerings have to be the pure offerings without a blemish, meaning without a mark, without a freckle, without a missing toe or something like that. And so they valued these kinds of things. We have money, so we don't really worry so much about that. But in this culture, your, your money, your wealth was measured by livestock. And the quality of your livestock was determined by things like this. So Jacob says, give me all the cheap stuff. Give me all the worthless stuff. You know, I'll, I'll take the change at the end of the day. You know, I, I don't need all the bills. I'll just take the, the coins. And he says, hey, that, that seems like a great plan. Laban says, all right, so tomorrow you go out to the field and you get rid of all the spotted ones and all the black sheep. As soon as it's done, Laban goes to his sons and says, hey, fellas, I'm going to give you a gift from old dad. I want you to go take every black sheep and every spotted and speckled goat and you take them and I want you to take them three days away where Jacob can't find them. So Jacob goes out to the field and, wow, oh, you see how, how pure my herd is? 
There's no blemished animals in my flocks, Jacob, so I guess you get nothing. So Jacob strikes a deal, makes a contract to work for Laban again for the irregular colored animals, and he gets out there and he gets nothing. Jacob has been out Jacobed again. His heel has been caught. He has been deceived by Laban. And now he's got to stay because he just made this deal, but he gets nothing. How do you think he was when he came home that night? Maybe angry, maybe sad, frustrated. Let's use this as our illustration. Jacob was hoodwinked by his old self into staying when we look into the mirror of Scripture, we talked about this, James 1.23 talks about Scripture like a mirror that you look into it, and it shows you who you really are. Jacob saw who he really was, which is, you're turning out just like Laban, Jacob. And we dislike what we see. You see your pride, you see your anger, whatever it is, and you don't like that about yourself. And we want to change. So maybe we say, that's it, I've got to go home. Laban, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Because this is not, I'm not gaining anything from keeping you around. You ever have that? Maybe you blow up at the store at somebody and you're like, we got to get this temper under control because this is not working for me. Well, here's what happens. Your mirror self will say, really the devil working through your flesh, tries to strike a deal and compromise with you. Well, don't, don't get rid of it entirely. Don't leave, Jacob. Just what do you need? Well, yeah, you're right. It's been one-sided. What do you need? Maybe we can make this work out. Got to get your temper under control. Well, listen, if I don't blow up and yell and scream at work, I'm just going to get pushed around. So I need to have this temper. My wife, my husband won't respect me if I don't get angry. All of a sudden, you're, you're rationalizing. Maybe you're addicted to pornography or you're just addicted to surfing on the Internet. It's like, I got to get rid of this phone. Now, all of a sudden, well, I need it for school. Well, I need it for work. I need it to keep track of the news or whatever it is. Maybe you've been living a lie, and you know you've got to tell the truth, but you think, no, 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 if, as soon as I lie, it's all going to tell the truth, it's all going to collapse, and my world will be a mess, and that would hurt the people around me. It's like every time there's a big scandal on Wall Street, and people lose a lot of money, all of a sudden the banks come out and say, no, 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 you, we can't fail, because if, if we fail, then everything else falls apart. And we all roll our eyes, because like you're just going to do it again. It's the same thing with you and me. We start rationalizing, and all of a sudden we become so interested in all these things that we're not actually doing. Well, I, I need that. I need to keep that attitude around. I need to be greedy. I need to be a little bit of a liar. I need to be flirtatious, or I'm not going to get tips. I need whatever it is. We think we can control the inner man. Oh, I've, I've got him under, Laban's under my thumb now. I've got him right where I want him. So I'm going to go out tomorrow, and I'm going to be rich man tomorrow. Meanwhile, Laban is working in the back door to take all that stuff away from you. You know what the Bible says about this? When you've got a character flaw, Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death what is earthly. Don't try to manage it. Don't cut a deal with it. Don't say, all right, all right, I'll stay. That's what Satan tries to do. Remember the demons? Send us into the pigs. Satan will lie dormant for a while. Jesus talks about demons that are cast out, will wander for a while, then they'll try to sneak back, and they've got some stronger demon buddies with them. That's a true thing about angels, but it's also a metaphor for your sin. You get rid of it, and it's going to come creeping back. And if you're not ready to squash it, don't give it a foothold in your life. Jacob is now getting kicked around by his old deceptive self again. That's where compromise with sin gets you. Broke is where it gets you, because that's what Jacob is now. Well, what's he going to do? Verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of this flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. 
So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Laban has taken away every irregularly colored animal and Jacob is left with nothing. However, there maybe was a blessing in disguise here because now there's nobody to look over Jacob's shoulder and see what he's doing with these animals. Now we've got some odd practices going on here. So let's break this down. Jacob does four things in order to selectively breed the flocks of Laban. Because remember, Jacob gets everything that's spotted or black or whatever it is. So he's going to start breeding these animals to produce the ones that are going to belong to him. Now, the first thing he does, and this is the weird one, he takes these sticks and he starts to strip part of the bark so that the sticks are striped. And he would put them in front of the animals when they came to drink because the watering hole is where the animals would breed with one another. This is an old superstition. The belief was that when an animal was breeding, if there was a strong visual picture of stripes, then the animal would have striped kids. Not very scientific. It's very superstitious. It's almost magical here. It's like the mandrakes from the last chapter. Remember, Leah had the mandrakes. Rachel wanted them because they thought it was an aphrodisiac. And we know through genetics now that's not how it works. And we're actually going to see in the next chapter, God's going to tell Jacob, your sticks didn't do anything, Jacob. It was me that did that. But this is what he's doing, and this was the practice of the day. So that's the first thing he does. Number two, he presents the animals to the spotted and the speckled. So if there was one speckled or one spotted, then he would take the animals that were in heat and he would direct them towards the one that was speckled and spotted so that more breeding would go on between the ones that had the irregularity. Number three, he would take his flocks away so that his speckled and spotted are only going to breed with other speckled and spotted and therefore it's more likely they're going to have more speckled and spotted kids and lambs. And Laban's are over here, so you see what he's doing. He's trying to keep them separate and focus the gene pool a little bit. And lastly, if there was a strong sheep or a strong goat, that's the one that he would breed in order to get speckled and spotted. And if the animal was weak, he would keep his sheep away from it. So by doing this, he's ensuring that the animals that are born are more likely to be speckled and spotted and black sheep that then belong to him. Because even the, the white sheep and even the brown goats are going to have some children that look that way. So Jacob claims these and is breeding the flocks for his own benefit. And it's a little bit of comeuppance for Laban here. Laban gets what he deserves. You talk about, you know, ever what you're going to do on your last day when you quit. You ever think about that? It's a fun conversation to have, isn't it? Well, Jacob is, is doing the, the best version of that. <laughs> Now, here's a question that I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about, but it got me thinking for a long time. Is Jacob doing the right thing here? He's certainly being deceptive. He's certainly being a schemer, which is kind of what he did. But Laban was also wrong. Laban had stolen everything that rightfully belonged to Jacob. This is like the ultimate insider trading here. You know what's about to go down, therefore you're going to make sure you don't lose anything. I don't know that that justifies what Jacob did. We know that God is going to bless him because of this, or not because of this, maybe in spite of this, depending on how you want to read it. The Bible doesn't tell us if it was right or wrong. It just tells us this is what happened. I'm inclined to take a middle course on this one and maybe let you all fight about it in the home fellowships. It was maybe deceptive, but it is also what the Bible calls shrewd. And every now and again, the Bible will commend people of God for being shrewd. An example of this is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We get the innocent as doves part, right? We love the stories of the Christians that didn't do a single thing wrong and then still suffered and God brought them through. But Jesus also tells him here, I want you to be clever, I don't want you just to go out and put yourself in harm's way. I'm sending you out on a dangerous mission. You've got to be cunning. You've got to be smart. You've got to be wise and think through how you're going to conduct yourself. We see Paul doing this several times, that if the persecution got way too hot, he's not just going to stick around and be killed. He's going to move on. Or when they were imprisoned, he didn't just take the imprisonment on the chin. He stood up and said, this was illegal. You shouldn't have done that, and you're going to publicly apologize to me. It's no virtue to be taken advantage of. It's one thing if it's persecution that's coming your way and there's nothing to be done. 
But Laban had robbed and deceived Jacob many times. And he's going to talk about this, that there's even more that happened. He, he had tricked him into marrying the wrong woman. You don't just get over something like that. And then you've got to work for that guy for another seven years. And then another six after that. It's hard to blame him for doing what was also technically within his rights. He's the head of the flock. He's the shepherd. He's been given that authority. And the reason nobody else can see what he's doing is because Laban is lying and cheating and keeping his sons away from him. It reminds me of what the midwives did in Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh told the midwives, every time a male son is born to the Hebrews, I want you to kill it. And what they did was when the baby was on its way, they moseyed their way over and took their sweet time getting there until the baby was born. And they said, oh, by the time I got there, the baby was already born. And it's funny the way they put it, too. They say, well, you know, Hebrew children are much stronger and, and Hebrew women are much, much more capable and healthy than Egyptian women. So maybe it's not like this. We have our children very quickly, kind of thrown it in his face a little bit. And God commends them for that. Luke 16, verse 8, talks about the shrewd steward. Remember when we talked about that? Jesus tells a parable about a guy who put one over on his boss when he was being fired. And Jesus says, even the world knows how to be shrewd in their matters. Why can't you be shrewd about the things of God? Not to be deceptive. He just says, why can't you be smart and creative and think about it and put all that energy that you use into making money or to getting a husband or getting a wife and aim that at the gospel? So I don't really know if Jacob was doing the right thing or not. I don't know that I would do this or if I would counsel any of you to do this, but I don't know. The scales are certainly balancing out a little bit here. 14 years, wrong wife, no money, now lied to when you cut a new contract and you get nothing. I don't know. I'm going to leave it there and you guys can think about it for yourselves. What we can say is that I bet you by now Jacob is feeling regret at his decision to stay. Huh? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. I was ready to go. And he talked me into staying, and now I'm right back where we started. He's feeling what, what you call dissonance in his life. Because Jacob, as we're going to see, it doesn't, you don't really see it in this section, but as we move along, that Jacob was growing in his walk with the Lord. He was starting to hear the voice of God. He was starting to use the name of the Lord around his family a little bit more. He was having dreams that God was giving him. And yet at the same time, he's dealing with Laban, and he's got these inside secret practices going on. And I think he's starting to realize this isn't working. This is not working living this way. When you begin to serve the Lord and you try to keep your old ways around, when you let Laban talk you into staying, when you let that friend who's no good for you and always talks you into smoking pot, you let him stay around in your life, you keep the number of that old ex-girlfriend in your phone, you're going to start to find it harder and harder to do the right thing. You're going to start to resent the dissonance. And you can start to resent God even. Say, God, I'm trying to do the right thing. And every time I try to follow you, it's getting so much harder. Maybe Jacob's in a place where he is like, how can I do the right thing? If I do the right thing, I'm going to get nothing. So now he's got a scheme and he's got to wrestle as God is going to say later. But the Lord has already told us that this is the case. Galatians 5.17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. You can't keep them in harmony. They're opposed to each other. They're like magnets that the, the charges of the same size will repel one another. And you're a kid and you're trying to get the back ends of the magnets to stick together. You can't do it. Everybody thinks they can. <laughs> now listen, you can win the struggle against the flesh. In fact, you must win the struggle against the flesh. But here's the deal. It's better just to cast the flesh off entirely. People will say this, oh yeah, I can, I, I can go hang out with the boys and I can go to the bar and I can go to the strip club and I can not sin. It's like, well, I suppose technically you could, but you're certainly not putting yourself in a place where it's easy. Well, I know that what goes on at those parties, so uh, I, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to do any of the things that they're going to do. Yeah, right. I know how it goes when she calls, but this time I'm going to share the gospel with her. Let somebody else share the gospel with her. Well, she needs me. No, she doesn't. So you can win the struggle. Yes, hey, I went to the party and I, I didn't smoke any dope like anybody else was. Well, great, but what were you doing there in the first place? It's better to cast it off entirely. I figured out how to live righteously in Laban's house. Great, well, why don't you just leave Laban's house? There's the dissonance going on. Maybe you're at that place tonight where you're trying to do the right thing, but you've got all these old habits and they're not working, and so your life is a constant frustration. 
Well, you need to get to the place that Jacob did. We're getting into chapter 31 now, starting in verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. This goes on for six years. We don't have that number here, but it'll tell us later. Six years. And Jacob is getting rich now. He's increasing his wealth many times over, and it's leading to envy. It's the same envy that the Philistines had for Isaac. It's the same envy that Pharaoh is going to have for the Jews in Egypt. It's the same envy that the Jews have encountered all over the world. There's always some group that wants to come in and start talking about how can the Jews be so influential and have so much money. There's a really satanic backing to that attitude. Because the Lord tells us why. Because God blesses his people. And Laban's sons are all offended and upset, which is like, give me a break. You're going to be upset that Jacob stole from you? You guys have been spending 20 years ripping this guy off. You ever hear that? You know somebody that is a constant liar. Maybe they've stolen money from you, and you know every time they come around, they're going to want something. And then finally, you have that one time where you say, no, I'm not giving you anything else. And then they, they have the audacity to get offended at you. You never cared about me. It's like, I gave you $500. Well, I need more. Well, I can't give you any more. You never loved me. That's what's going on here. Jacob and, and Laban are not friends anymore. Yeah, Laban doesn't like Jacob once he can't take advantage of Jacob anymore. And God commands him to leave. Jacob is finally at the point where he's ready to listen. God never left him, but God has been blessing him this whole time. This is the moment of decision. Again, we're using Laban as an illustration here for that worst tendency within yourself. The mirror, the anti-Jacob, right? He says, this is the moment where we've got to renounce the old way. I tried to leave before. I let myself get talked into staying. Now my life is dissonant. I've come to the decision. We've got to go. This is key in the life of Jacob. This moment here and the verses following. He will need more time to grow into this. And we're going to see this throughout the rest of his life. He's not there yet, but he's at least understanding now that we need to make a change. That's the first thing. Worry about the maturity process later. At least he knows that it's time to abandon Laban and thereby to abandon that, that deception and lying in his own heart. This is where the, the, as you call it, the structure of the story just plays out so well. He goes out into the wilderness, driven there by his own deception, and comes face to face with the epitome of deception. And he gets a belly full of it. And he says, I hate this. I don't want to be like this. You ever come to that place before? There's one too many times you've wrecked a relationship, or you've been greedy, or you've been careless and you've emptied the bank account and you say forget it i'm not doing that anymore this is where jacob begins to become israel even though he hasn't made it there yet we've all got to reach a point in our walk where the old and the new cannot coexist any longer it's been working before but not really for jacob second corinthians 5 17 says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come the old is passing away for Jacob, but he hadn't quite realized. This, this chapter was all about him saying, okay, yeah, I know that he's no good, but I, I, can, I can work with it. I can figure it out. But really, like we read earlier in Ephesians, he needed to put to death that tendency within himself. You see this in Simon Peter's life. Simon was a fisherman. He was a brash guy. He was a kind of arrogant guy. Jesus comes to him and calls him to be a disciple, and he says, you will be Peter, the rock. I'm going to build my church through you. You're going to be one of my inner guys, one of my disciples. And the whole story of Peter's life with Jesus is maturing and growing and making a mistake, but then correcting that mistake. But then there became a point where Peter had to realize that those two things could not coexist. He couldn't be Simon and Peter at the same time. He denied Jesus Christ. That was his moment. That was a similar moment for Peter when he realized, I, I can't have both these things. I can't be the, the brash, bold fisherman 
who talks too much and doesn't think he needs to pray. And then in John 21, we see a replay of Peter's story where they're, they're back at the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing again. And Jesus tells them, hey, throw the net on the other side. And there's the big catch of fish, which, remember, was the big moment for Peter the first time. And he swims out of the boat to Jesus, and they're sitting around the campfire. And Jesus says to him, Simon, do you love me? Three times. Because how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. He had to choose at this moment to become Peter to accept the name that Jesus had given him, to leave behind the old fisherman life. And this is where Jacob is too. And we have these moments in our lives. And you might have many moments like this. You probably will at different parts of your life where you are trying to do it God's way, but you're trying to keep the old way too. It's, it's the weight that Hebrews talks about, right? Cutting aside the sin and the weight that slows you down. And you realize you can't have them both and this has got to go. This is the moment of realization that you have to have. You must agree in your heart that the old man has got to go. The old woman has got to go. You can't keep them both. You can't define yourself that way anymore. You can't carry yourself and talk this way anymore. You can't keep that attitude anymore. You can't engage in that activity anymore. When you've had enough of yourself, <laughs> I've been there before, where you have a moment where you're just down and you're, you don't feel like getting up and you feel small and you just hate yourself. I, I hate that I do that. I hate that I talk to him that way. I, I hate that I hang out with those people. Because every time I walk away, I, I feel disgusted with myself. I hate that I watch that thing. I hate that I feed those thoughts in my mind. It's one thing to recognize that it's bad. It's another thing to say, we're going to make a change. And God is calling Jacob to make a change. And he's calling you to make a change too. It's time for you to abandon the last vestiges of the old self that Jesus died for and nail it to the cross and become who he's called you to be. Like Peter. Simon the fisherman? No, Peter the apostle. Are you ready to give all that up, Peter? Have you had enough yet? <laughs> Have you had enough of falling into the lake? Have you had enough of blaspheming on the Mount of Transfiguration and saying, let's build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah? Have you had enough of denying the Lord who loved you and died for you? What about you? Have you had enough? Hopefully you're in your heart. And it might not be some big thing. It might just be a small thing. Say, I've had enough of that. I've had enough of that, that one curse word that I still keep around every now and then and befoul my mouth every now and then. I've had enough of that. Small things. Or maybe it's a big thing. My relationship with my father, my mother, has got to change. Whatever it is, time to let that go. And that's exactly what Jacob is going to do and try to leave his, lead his wives to do here in verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. Notice that. He's not having this conversation in the tents. He's calling them out to the field. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. The old Jacob would never have said something like that, huh? You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. This next section is key here. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God came to me in a dream and said, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So he calls Rachel and Leah out to the field. He's not going to have that conversation in Laban's house. There's people listening to what's going on in Laban's house. You can't have a, <laughs> if you can't have an open conversation with your wife in your own house, something's got to change. And he proposes that they leave and go home. And he's very careful to remind them that he's done nothing wrong. Because remember, these are his wives, but that's their daddy he's talking about. We're going to see it's not a problem in a few verses, but... He's still trying to make it clear, I've not stolen from your father. But he's been abused by him. He says 10 times. There's a lot of things that I read that said that 10 times thing might not be a specific number. He's just saying, he's changed 10 times. 
We might say a million times. The idea is it's a lot. He was always changing the wages. And this is amazing because this is the first act of spiritual leadership by Jacob. We saw in the last chapters, he was getting pushed around by his wives. He was getting dragged into all sorts of weird situations that he shouldn't have been in. They were competing. They were sneaking around. They were inviting concubines into the relationship. But he's grown. And it's nice to see that he's grown. Because you feel bad for him, even though he's been a scoundrel this whole time. But he's growing. And he tells them of a dream that he had. And this dream is significant. He said, I had a dream that the male animals that were breeding were spotted and speckled and striped. What's the significance of that? Jacob didn't have any spotted, speckled, and striped animals to start out with. So the only ones that were breeding were of the single color. So what God was showing him is, Jacob, I am going to provide for you as if the animals that were breeding were spotted and speckled. It's God's way of saying, it's not your sticks, Jacob, <laughs> that are doing anything. It's not your sticks, it's me. I am doing this for you. Where there should be no possibility of this happening, I'm going to make it happen. God was at work blessing his flock. Jacob is realizing now that it was not his schemes that were working for him. It was God's grace that was working for him. He's reminded of the vow that he made back in Bethel. Remember chapter 28? He said, if you'll bless me and you'll return me home safe, I'll serve you my whole life. I'll build you an altar and I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I own. And God is saying, I've kept my hand of the deal. So it's time to go home. Sometimes we get in situations where we want out so desperately and so badly, but we just don't know how to do it. And sometimes God has to come in and shake us up a little bit and say, it's time to leave. Jacob's gotten a belly full of himself, and now he realizes, hey, I've been fighting and struggling and Jacobing this whole time, and that's never gotten me anywhere. It's only been God that got me anywhere. We commit ourselves to Christ. We get saved. We have a moment at Bethel. We come to the altar. We bow, and we get saved. God shows us the depths of our own sin. We don't like it. But sometimes it takes us a while to realize how much our sin is actually hurting us and to realize that only God can bless us, especially people who have a lot. You're talking to me about upending my whole life and the whole way I've structured everything. I, I've got a system here. I've got people that depend on me. I, I know that that's not right. I'll find a way to change, kind of like Jacob was trying to find a way to change. And it wasn't working. And he realizes now that only God can bless him. This realization is part, the other part of what Jacob had come to. The first part was, I don't want to be like that anymore. The second part of that was, it never did anything for me anyway. It was God that was blessing me. So everything that I thought I was getting through this, I actually was getting through this. So it's not just letting go of one thing, but it's picking up your relationship with God. You've got to have them both. It might seem like they're exactly the same, but they're not. One is letting go of yourself. The other is chasing after Jesus. James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Why does the Bible tell us not to be deceived? Usually because that's where people are getting deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is saying, don't kid yourself. If you've got blessings, if you've got money, if you've got family, if you've got nice things, if you've got hobbies and, and pursuits that you enjoy, the world didn't give that to you. God gave that to you. Well, I earned it. I put my sticks out in front, remember? Oh, that was mine. No, no, no. God gave that to you. Your temper has never done anything good for you. Your greed has never done anything good for you. Your lies, your sensuality, those things have not blessed you. If you've got blessings, it's in spite of those things. Praise the Lord that like Jesus said, God causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I'm glad that God is patient enough to gently lead us to this place of realization. Jacob took 20 years to learn this lesson because he had grown up where mom was a schemer and dad was kind of a loser and his brother was a jerk. So he had to sneak and smooth his way through life. And then finally it got him in trouble and he leaves. And he gets to this place where the guy is also a schemer. And everybody around him, his wives are scheming around him. So he figures, I got to scheme if I got to keep up. 
and he starts getting blessed. Hey, this is working, but it's getting harder and harder and harder. Finally, God steps in and says, Jacob, you're the problem. You've got to get out of the way and let me take care of you. God knows when we're ready to receive certain things. And he knows when we're not ready. Sometimes we can get impatient with each other. It's like, why can't you get this? It's so simple. And God's like, I'm working on it. I'm slowly working on it. Now, don't use that as an excuse to continue in sin. Sometimes people do that. So why did you do that? Well, God's still working on me. That's not God working on you. That's rebellion. Realize that it's not just your own failures that are hurting your life, but it's the blessings that are coming from God. Don't just turn away from your failures. Go after the blessings that God can give. Doesn't that just make sense? If you know where all the good stuff's really coming from, don't you want to go there? Instead of try to figure out a way to get it some other way? Ah, but our pride gets in the way, doesn't it? I want to make something for myself. God's like, you can't. There's nothing good in you to come out of you. So Jacob says, it's time to go, ladies. We're going to leave. And you might think that they would uh, complain and say, no, we can't leave, Daddy. But they were under no illusions about who their daddy was. Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. I'll tell you what, we could preach just that last sentence there. We could spend a whole week talking about marriage. That that is what we need to be for each other. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Don't get in the way of what God is leading your husband or your wife to do. Don't do that. Whatever God has said to you, do. But you can see these ladies, <laughs> a, little, a little bitter against dad, and good reason. They're kind of like, hey, you don't got to do your whole speech, Jacob. We don't want to stay here either. He says, our fathers mistreated us. He said, what, what's left? Is his dad going to die and leave anything to us? No, he hates you, and so he hates us, so we're not going to get anything. He's given our inheritance away. We see that Laban was something of a spendthrift here. He says he's devoured our money. Everything you make for him, he spends it by the end of the week. He's not going to have anything left. There's also something that could be going on here, not certain, but this is how the culture worked, that when you paid a price for a bride, that part of that, or even sometimes all of that, would be held until the day of the father's death, and that would be returned. So it was almost like a, a retirement account in a way. It was a way of maintaining the family, not just in the moment, but later. So it could be that those 14 years that Jacob had worked, part of what he made during that time for Laban should have been held for his daughters, but it seems that Laban had spent all that up. So there was nothing for them. And it says he treats us like foreigners. You'd like to be living in your dad's house, and he treats you like a foreigner. So they say, so whatever God gave you, that's only fair. We don't think that you stole from dad, Jacob. We know what dad's like. Let's get out of here. This is the big moment. Jacob finally decides we're going to leave Padan Aram and we're going to go back. So let's recount the journey so far. Jacob's deception gets him into trouble. He goes out into the wilderness. And we talked about how the wilderness is a picture of, of change and upheaval in your life. And he meets God there. Good thing. And the first place that God takes him is to see his real self, his true self, his destiny if he doesn't change. And that self wallops him and finally convinces him, as we saw tonight, that the struggle to maintain this attitude is not worth it. He realizes it was God all along, and now he decides to make a change. Guys, that's the pattern of sanctification. The Lord takes you out to a place of change, shows himself to you, shows you who you really are, convinces you that you can't hang on to that, and then tries to get you to turn around and leave and go a different way. That's repentance. This is where God wanted to bring him from day one. God wanted him to renounce his deceptive ways. He knew what Jacob needed, but Jacob needed to learn it for himself. Well, he shouldn't have to. Well, there it is. We can get like that with our kids sometimes, you know. They ought to know better. Yeah, but they don't. So they're going to have to learn this. And it's really hard to say that, and we should never use it to abdicate responsibility, but we're all on a journey with the Lord. And some people need 20 years in Laban's house. Some of us might have realized after the first marriage incident that maybe this is not the place for me. But God wants us all to come to that place of self-renunciation. 
Do you know what Jesus said in Luke 14, 33? He says, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is not a hopefully. This is a necessity. Jacob's name meant heel catcher, deceiver, liar, schemer. And God needed him to renounce that identity. He needed to renounce his lying, scheming. It's the same thing for you and me. Renouncing the flesh. It's not enough to just know God. Oh, I know what God wants from me, but if you don't change, what good is that? The Pharisees knew the Bible, but Jesus said, you think that you have life in the scriptures, but if they don't bring you to me, then they're of no use to you. It's not enough to know yourself. Oh, I'm very, I've had people come in very familiar with all their issues. They've been to a thousand counselors. They can give you all the official names that I don't even know for all their problems. But you try to get them to change anything, and it's like trying to hold water in your hands. They're slipping and dodging and ducking and weaving, and you realize they're only here to talk and feel better about talking because it feels like they did something when in reality they didn't do anything. People that will go through these long, florid confessions in front of a bunch of people, sometimes even online, they'll record a video or whatever, and talk about themselves, and they're not changing. It's like, what is this? It's a song and dance to make it seem like you're making a change. It's not enough just to know what's wrong. You've got to do something about it. You've got to make a decision to leave behind the old self and chase after God. And we call that repentance. You need to know God, know what's right, know yourself, know where you don't meet up to that standard. And number three, make a change. Choose God over yourself. That's repentance. Change your mind, change your direction. Because God has a new life for you, but it requires the death of the old one. Paul knew about that, didn't he? Saul of Tarsus had everything going for him. He had the best education. He was smart. He had connections. He was heading up the persecution. And then God got hold of him on the road and changed everything. And Paul gave all that up. In Philippians 3, he says, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And that's what it takes. Loss of everything. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If you're a Christian, you're already saved. I'm not so much today talking about salvation issues, but I'm talking about how God wants to renew your whole life. He wants to take every part of your life and take it through this process, the big stuff and the little stuff. Because he's got a whole new name and new life for you and a new future. And he wants to bring it to you, but all that old stuff gets in the way. And we're going to see that Jacob is not there yet. He's still got a ways to go. But at least now he understands that a change must take place. And that, that can be the hardest place to get to, is to admitting that I can't live this way. And the longer you've lived a certain way, the harder it is for you to admit that that is the problem. Jacob had seen himself for who he really was. He'd seen God for who he really was. And now he makes the choice to go after God and to leave himself behind. We can have moments like this that are huge pivots. Salvation is one of these moments that is a huge pivot. Maybe there's an addiction that God breaks you of. Oh, that's a huge pivot. Getting over that. But it can be something small, an attitude a daydream that you shouldn't be entertaining, an idea that isn't any good. In my case, other ideas of what I could do with my life. I've got to constantly be coming back and say, no, Lord, I've died to all that stuff because you put your hand on my shoulder and said, I'm going to need you full time. Choose today to renounce yourself and go after God. Jacob had gotten a belly full of himself and it was making him sick. You always tell your kids, don't eat so much. You're going to get sick, and they think, ridiculous, it tastes so good. How could a big bowl of cake and ice cream with gummy bears and bacon on top make me sick? It's so yummy. And then you eat the whole thing, I don't feel good. And then up it comes. This is what Jacob is going through here. He had gotten the, he said, I'm sick and tired of scheming and struggling and wrestling and dodging people and going around. I'm sick of it. And God's like, good. Let's get it out. 
But you know what's the good news here? People hear this in the world and they say, see, Christians want to change you and make you just like everybody else and take away your identity and take away your individuality. No, no, no. This is the Holy Spirit purging you of those parts that are sinful and painful. Sinful and painful. Well, that makes me who I am. Guess what, guys? God doesn't see it that way. See, well, Jacob's a liar. It's not fair to tell him that's wrong. That's who he is. And God's like, that's not who he is. Don't put that on him. I know who he is. Let God tell you who you are. God's got something more glorious. It's like trying to tell the caterpillar that you're renouncing your people by going into that cocoon. It's like, no way. I'm living out my destiny. This is who God has made me to be. God wants to renew you after the image of Christ. And we're going to see that Jacob is going to be fully redeemed here. He's going to come out of that wilderness a brand new man. God doesn't see you as a sinner. Isn't that awesome? He calls you a saint. But he wants to draw the saintness out of you. He's called you holy. Now he wants to make you holy. Jacob had a long way to go, and maybe so do you. But I hope tonight can at least be a moment of decision where you say, this has got to go. Now you're cooperating with God, and God's not trying to get your attention anymore. We read it at the beginning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, Jacob is going to be cast back into the wilderness after this. He's going to go back into that place of uncertainty and change and upheaval. And so will you. When you decide you're going to return, reject all that stuff, hey, we're leaving Egypt. Now we're in the wilderness. Maybe I should have just stayed in Egypt. You'll have those thoughts, but they're foolish. The end result will be glorious. There's a promised land waiting for you. And your only regret will be that it took you so long to come to your senses. Why did I waste all those 20 years working for Laban? I should have just come home. And we see this pictured for us nowhere better than Jesus Christ at the cross. The death of the flesh. The death of what is sinful. He himself was no, was no sinner, but he took your sin on himself. And then he raised to walk in newness of life. And that's what Christian walk is. Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Die to yourself. Oh, that seems so cruel. Not when there's a resurrection coming. 